Okay, we're continuing with our series on Revelation. You guys can bring up the, the slides for that. This is week number 46, and uh, the title of the message today is The Great White Throne. Um, this is a passage that there are many people who want to pretend like it's not in the Bible, but it is in the Bible. And so as we go through any book that we preach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we don't avoid any of them, especially when once we truly understand them, they're not scary. They're actually very encouraging. So I'm going to start with this uh, illustration, clothes. They're great, aren't they? I mean, <clears throat> let's be honest, <clears throat> there are very few exceptions, but most of us desperately need them. <laughs> the right clothes can hide a multitude of dietary sins, amen? <laughs> the wrong clothes, <laughs> Clothes can also be used to communicate who or what we identify with, maybe an ethnic group a nationality or a sports team or maybe even a music genre, nationalities. Clothes can also be a statement about what we believe or what is important to us. For example, our Grace Life t-shirts. Some of them have mobile, organic, biblical, and generous, and the other ones have loving one another relentlessly. It's an example of how clothes can be a statement. And it's important, though, that you always wear the right clothes for whatever destination or event you're going to. You don't wear a tuxedo to meet someone at Starbucks. I mean, you can, but you're going to look like an idiot. <clears throat> you're not going to wear beach shorts and flip-flops to a formal wedding. That would be disrespectful, saying you don't really care about how special this moment is. And there are different types of clothes for different types of events. There's formal clothes, which I hate, but I'll wear if I have to. There's work clothes, and there's beach clothes, and there's dating clothes, there's court clothes. <laughs> Have you ever worn the wrong clothes that led to a miserable experience? You were either too hot or too cold or they were too tight or they were too loose. Have you had the wrong clothes that provided like a, what does they call it in the 90s, a wardrobe malfunction? that somehow suddenly made you the center of attention for all the wrong reasons? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been underdressed? Have you ever been overdressed? You ever have a button pop off? <laughs> a zipper stop working or a zipper you forgot to use? <laughs> have your clothes, what you've worn, ever offended someone? Well, for the event we are studying today, your wardrobe choice will be the most important critical choice of your life. In fact, everything rides on exactly what you'll be wearing. Revelation chapter 20. By the way, this is the last passage in the seven cycles about the history of redemption ending with judgment. Next week, 21 and 22, we start a section of Revelation about the new heaven and the new earth, and it's just going to be exciting. But we have one more week to go. Uh, on this part of it. <clears throat> Chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it, who was seated on it. From the presence, from his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is called the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books 
according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Notice he uses the phrase lake of fire three times, not once. Historically speaking, there's some important things for you to understand. I want you to understand this throne of fire is the first place that John's Jewish first century Christians would go. So as we've seen in the other six cycles in Revelation, this is the seventh cycle. And chapter 20 has given us a broad overview of all the history from the coming of Christ first as a baby and then to the coming of Christ as Lord and King. So it's a broad overview of that whole period that we call the church age. And John's vision of this great white throne of judgment is the last of these images in these cycles. This happens after what we've studied, the Battle of Armageddon, just so you understand the chronology. Now, John's Jewish first century readers or Christians, they would immediately recognize the description of a great white throne coming from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 is where they would go. As I looked, and Daniel had the same vision of the same day of judgment. And as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened." This is where they would go. They wouldn't see the great white throne, read that and think, oh, this is something new. They would say, oh, we've read this before. And they would go to Daniel chapter seven. And we see these books of judgment here, right? There's two sets of books. There's a bunch of books. And then there's one book. Revelation 20 and Daniel seven are just two of multiple places all throughout the scriptures that refer to books that contain records of every person's deeds, thoughts and actions. One good one is Psalm 69, verse 27 and 28. Add to them punishment upon punishment. In other words, the record of those punishments. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living or the book of life. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. That's Psalm 69, verse 27 and 28. Look, this might be literal books recording unrighteous deeds, or it could just be simply a metaphor for how God remembers all of our unrighteous deeds. Like, so imagine if you would, like, if there was a DVD of your life. Now, I don't know who filmed it all, but someone did, okay? Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, and then to make it worse, even subtitles of what you were really thinking when you were doing all of it. (laughs) Would you want anyone to see that DVD playing at a theater near you? The Life of Joe. See, so that scary thought is what is supposed to be represented as a metaphor of these, this first set of books in John's vision. That's the concept. The other book, however, represents everything that Christ has done. There's two books, everything that every human that's ever lived has done, and then a book has everything that Christ has done. More on that later. Then I want you to see this throne. They would see this, this, 
this similarity with Daniel 7, this blinding light. So this vision that Daniel has and then also that John has is dominated with pure white. And white is a powerful metaphor for purity and righteousness throughout the Old Testament. But don't be confused. You know, wearing all white is a bold fashion statement, isn't it? Have you ever tried it? I mean, like from head to toe. Hat, shirt, pants, skirt, whatever, socks, shoes. It is almost impossible to keep an all-white outfit pristine with no smudges or any specks of dirt. They stand out. I mean, look, sometimes I'll wear a white shirt on Sunday, and I like the shirt, but even picking it out of the closet, I start getting nervous. That's why I have learned, and Megan actually taught me this, I always carry a Tide pen, just in case, in my backpack, in case I spill coffee. Well, here, though, the word white is much more than a hue or a color of fabric. It is actually a word that can be used to describe unfiltered, burning, radiant brightness. Matter of fact, they would know that this came directly from Exodus chapter 33, verses 20 to 23. But he said... You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. It's not a word used by accident, by the way. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. They would go right to this passage. This is a sight, this bright white, this is a sight so pure and so clean, it radiates or reflects light perfectly. In today's passage, it's a throne with fiery flames that Daniel describes. This is bright light like a sun. And what do you do when the sun suddenly hits your eyes? You are forced to turn away or to, or to cover your eyes. It's too bright. You don't really see a color when you look in the sun, do you? You see pure light. Your natural reflex is to cover your eyes or you know that you will be blinded. So that's the history. This is where John's readers would go. They would go to Daniel. They would understand what John was seeing. Look at the spiritual aspect. What about the theology of this passage? I want you to see that there are two sides in this vision. So this great white throne is directly connected beautifully now. I want, you're going to love this. You know that parable that we've talked about maybe, I don't know, 100 times, the wheat and the weeds? This is connected directly to Jesus' parable. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like. Remember the weeds grow up along with the wheat and they say, should we tear out the weed? No, let them grow up. And let the weeds grow and then let the wheat grow. And when the wheat shows its fruit, we'll gather the fruit into our storehouse and then we'll burn the weeds. Look at the very end of that passage. What does Jesus say at the end of the parable? The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. Doesn't that sound like Revelation 20? In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. You see the white. In the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. You see the connection? They're directly tied together. Everyone who has ever lived, including humans and fallen angels and demons, they will all stand before this white throne of judgment in one group or the other. 
I want to talk about this second death. So this first group, right, this first group appear before the white throne. It consists of Satan and his demons and all those who worship his beasts, the things of this world. None of them have survived the church age. They, they either experienced the first death along the way or during, you know, during their lifetime or they were slain during the battle of Armageddon. Every person who died without the mark of the Holy Spirit and the gospel. And they're brought back to life. This is what is called in the Revelation the second resurrection. It's not like our first resurrection that we learned about last week, if you remember. That resurrection, that day that Christ gave you new life, called you out of darkness, out of Gog, and out of Magog. That's the type of celebration or a resurrection we celebrate like we will on April 16th when we do our baptisms. That's the first resurrection. This is different. This is those who have died without Christ. They are now resurrected. The second resurrection is for those who are about to face, however, judgment, not redemption. Judgment for all their deeds. And they will suffer this second death. They are separated on one side of the throne with a library filled with open books of every word, every deed, and every thought. A library of all the unrighteousness of mankind from beginning to end. This is a moment of shame as the true nature of man without Christ is revealed to all. And here's what makes this scene, it's tragic enough, right? Here's what makes it even more tragic. Jesus tells us, and we're going to look at this later, that they are shocked that they ended up here before the great white throne. Stunned. And for a host of reasons, they didn't expect this to happen. They were certain there would be no accountability, no reckoning. The only white will be in their faces as reality sets in. Their deeds exposed, and they're all cast into the lake of fire along with Satan and his angels. That's one group. Not a good one to be in. But there's another group at that throne. It's the redeemed in white. They are gathered also at the white throne, but they are dressed to match the judge and his throne. We kind of blend. It's like righteousness camouflage. (laughs) Revelation chapter three, verse five. You might remember this from our series early on. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Remember that? And I will never blot his name out of what? The book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Can you imagine being dressed in white, coming before the throne? And Jesus says, no, he's one of mine. I'm going to ask you the same rhetorical question John was asked in chapter 7. You ready? Let me me read this passage for you in Revelation chapter 7. One of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? It's a rhetorical question. From where have they come? And John says, I said to him, sir, you know who they are. Why are you asking me, silly rabbit? (laughs) Then the elder said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, what we are now in. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So I'm going to ask you the same rhetorical question John was asked in chapter 7 by one of those elders that were around the throne. Grace life, who are these that are clothed in white before the great white throne? Who is that? Who is it? It's us. It's you, followers of Jesus. That's who it is. If you're here today with faith in Christ, you're part of that group. We are all dressed in these white robes. It's the ones in verse 4 and 5 
who followed Jesus on white horses through the Battle of Armageddon. Remember that? It's the same group. Followers of Jesus who have died and became part of the church in victory and those whom Jesus gathered when he returned. It's all of us through the gospel who have experienced that very first resurrection, the day the gospel called you out of Gog and Magog, out of darkness into light. We are all on the other side of the throne. And there's only one book open on our side. And it has all the names in it that Jesus has chosen before the foundation of the world for life. John's readers would not have been frightened by this passage, by the way. It would have been a comfort to them. The great white throne judgment would be a reminder to them that being faithful in the face of immense suffering and tribulation is so worth it. They would be reminded that there will be an ultimate victory over evil. That living by faith is really the only way to live. This is also the reason why those of us who follow the Lamb wherever He goes can read this passage today without fear, but with humility and joy and anticipation. All right, personal section. I've called this section Judgment Day Outfits. <laughs> this was the sermon preview this week. Do you have the right clothes for Judgment Day picked out yet? Okay, since there's right clothes, we also know that there are wrong clothes. Isaiah 64, verse 6, the first part of the verse. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. You see the contrast? So, guys, tell me what you think. Do, do, these, do these filthy rags make my sin look big? You guys think... The answer is, no, Joe, your sin makes your sin look big. <laughs> oh, boy, I'm in trouble. All right. You know, society is so full of examples of how easily we can become misguided by our own misunderstanding of human righteousness. Throughout history, people have created their own standards of righteousness. And the reason they've done it is they want to replace God's standard of righteousness. For some, you know what has become their righteousness? Nationalism, patriotism. That becomes righteous. For others, being woke has become their righteousness. For some, generosity has become their righteousness. For some, it's volunteering that has become their clothing of righteousness. For some, it's strict religious orthodoxy that has become their righteousness. For others, it's activism or whatever causes that they believe in and sacrifice for, that has become their clothing of righteousness. Look, some aspects of these things can appear righteous. I'm not saying that they're not. It may even be at times for a child of God to be commendable to participate in some of these things. In fact, as followers of Jesus, we are commanded to do some of these things. But these things do not make you righteous. And here's, here's the problem in the world today. People dress themselves in these ideals. They become their identity. 
and they hope their legacy will become a righteous one after they die. Let me tell you the sad secret. At the great white throne of judgment, for those without the gospel, all that stuff will be like filthy, polluted garments in the eyes of God. All of it. Nationalism, patriotism, wokeism, donating, volunteering, orthodox, legalistic religion, all of it is filthy rags. Here's where they're going to be surprised, those who have dressed themselves in righteousness. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and cast out demons and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is what happens to those who come to the throne clothed in filthy rags. This is a hard truth for those who refuse to admit that they need the cross to become righteous. This will be a shocking, devastating event for those who thought they could be clothed in righteousness through their own actions. This is bad news for the philanthropists. This is bad news for the volunteers. This is very bad news for the activists. This is very bad news for the patriots. This is very bad news for the religious zealots. This is bad news for anyone who thinks they can live a life that is pleasing to God through human effort and human wisdom. This is bad news for every person who believes their good deeds can somehow, if they work hard enough, outweigh their bad ones. No, they can't. They're all bad. This is bad news for anyone who tries to clothe themselves in righteousness by doing any of these good things. This is bad news for anyone who does not understand fully how desperately they need the cross to become righteous. Because, you know, righteousness as the great white throne is no sliding scale. There is one standard, and it cannot be met without the gospel. Only Jesus can clothe us in the kind of righteousness we will need to wear at the great white throne. So that's the wrong clothes. Let's talk about the right clothes. <clears throat> Paul wrote this in Philippians 3.9. I love this. Being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Do you see the right clothes here? Imagine on that day, just like you're getting ready, right? Oh, it's a great white throne. Hey, do these white robes make me look righteous? <laughs> no, you know what they do? They make you righteous. No looks about it. This is great news for those of us who understand that our own righteousness is no better than polluted, filthy rags. This is great news for those who understand that the only righteousness in us is the work of Christ on the cross. And for the redeemed, for those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, us who, who know and trust Christ and His work, Judgment Day won't be about the DVD of our life, it's about our Savior. And all he has done for us. For us, we too will be stunned, just like the unredeemed. But for us, we'll be stunned by how God can make people that look like me or Megan or Dave Sutton or Amy righteous. <laughs> That's what we'll be stunned by. 
But wait, aren't we supposed to do righteous things on earth? It's not just about, you know, faith and just live however you want, right? Won't we also be judged by our works? Well, watch this, Christian. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may brag. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand that we should walk into the Greek means trip over. So wait a minute, he saves us and then throws stuff in our path, good works that we fall over into? Yep. It's exactly what it means. <clears throat> Through the gospel, you are clothed with a white robe of righteousness, with good works he prepared for you beforehand, works he has thrown right into your path, works he has prepared for you, and works that he prepared for you. Works he has thrown right there into your life, and even those, those good works... At the great white throne, we'll only do one thing. We'll just give Jesus glory for that too. Do you want to stand before the throne on judgment day dressed in your own works? Your own righteousness? Or would you rather stand before the great white throne of judgment in Christ in white robes of his righteousness? Which one? <clears throat> Dear Christian, you should be grateful for these white robes instead of trying to clothe yourself in your own. You are clothed in the righteousness, that cleft of the rock that we saw in Exodus. And that rock is who? Oh, it's Jesus and what he did on the cross. For you, Christian, this day will not be a horrible surprise. This day will not be terrifying. It will be a glorious moment. Because follower of Jesus, you will be dressed in the right clothes. And your name will be written in the book of life. For those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes, it's going to be a great day. We will not be clothed in our own works, our own righteousness, our own filthy, polluted garments. And if you're here today, I'm just going to say this. For those of you that are here today thinking you just need to try harder. I just need to get to the point where I can do better. Start chalking up more things in the good column rather than the bad. Listen to me. Abandon that foolishness of trying to dress yourself in your own polluted, filthy rags. And put your trust and hope in the gospel of Jesus. Wouldn't it be better to let Jesus pick out your clothes for judgment day instead of dressing up in your own righteousness? Wouldn't you rather let Jesus say, here, come into my Closet. I got one just for you. It's got your name already on it. You know, I don't know about you, but I do not want to be anywhere near my own righteousness on Judgment Day. Do you? I totally want Jesus to pick out my clothes. <laughs> Heavenly Dad, we're just so thankful that... <clears throat> That this, this vision of the great white throne reminds us that we have no confidence in our own righteousness. And any righteousness that is in us is because you provided it for us when you called us out of darkness into light. We are your work created in Christ Jesus for good works you prepared before we were even born that we should trip over. 
Dear Jesus, as, as we follow you wherever you go, sometimes we're going to get discouraged by our own failures, our own sin, our, our own deficiencies. Lord, remind us, yes, it's true, we are still sinners, but you have clothed us in righteousness. We don't deserve these clothes. Frankly, we can't believe that you made them for us. But we are just fine with you picking out what to wear for us that day. And Lord, as we go through in this world doing kingdom work, make us mindful of the fact that we need to abandon any hope in our own righteousness. And for those that are here that maybe have not come to the place where they are dependent upon your work and not theirs, Lord, I pray that you would enlighten them, that you would show them, that you would give them ears to, ear, ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, I pray for them right now that even as I'm speaking, that you would save them so that we can all be on that side of the throne with the book open with our names in it together. But we have some time left before that day comes. <clears throat> so in the meantime, Lord, help us to take this good news of these free white robes for all who want to come into the family of God. Help us to take that message to the hurting world around us. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Christian, go in your white robes. Have a great week.